Are you ready for the end of the world? This is Your Community Spirit, a show about caring, sharing, and preparing for the changes needed in the world as we know it. Let's bring back the circle again. Circle of family, circle of friends, the circle of being. Wake up and be healthy and therefore wealthy to the peace and joy of Mother Earth. This is your community spirit coming at you on your community radio, 91.1 FM, community radio for Southern Illinois. My name is Treesong. And my name is Orda Energymon, and we are part of the community. We have been doing this radio show since, well, I have, since the summer of 1999. Yeah, since last millennium. Yeah, just like, because <laughs> that was actually our theme song. It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. <laughs> we we did that for a few years. Yeah. Because there was, yeah, there was what, quite a few times people said it was the end of the world. Yeah, people thought Y2K, or they're thinking, you know, 2012 is going to be the end of the world. And <laughs> just we're like, still ticking, but... Well, yeah, that's how it got to start. We're still ticking just barely, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So hopefully people will help us keep this station going because I've been volunteering for this, well, 15 years, right? Yeah. Is it almost 16 years? It's getting close. Yeah. No, I don't know. I can't count. What year is it? <laughs> I think it's 2014. <laughs> so it's been 15 it's years. It's been 15 years, yeah. <laughs> Just like. Yeah, and we, there are a lot of volunteer DJs that put in a lot of volunteer effort, but to keep it going, we do need donors, members in order to sustain the station. Cause, you yeah, know, I mean, it, it takes, it would be nice if it could all run out in sunshine and rainbows, but, you know, we need to turn on the power and we need to have a station manager and we need to pay all the bills, so. Yeah, pay taxes, all kinds taxes, of good stuff. Yeah. It's amazing what it takes to run a radio station. You never know until you start doing it. Because <laughs> I never ran one, but <laughs> yeah, I do learn things. So hopefully people will give us a call. Yeah. In the meantime, let's talk about all the horrible things that are happening in the world. Yeah, and the number, if you do want to give us a call, we're both on the air at the moment, but the number is 618-457-3691. Frackers are strip mining the Midwest for sand? There's a new gold rush. Sand. Northern white sand is all the rage right now, according to the Wall Street Journal, because it can withstand intense heat and pressure underground. Why is that important? Because what's driving the white sand demand is fracking. Well, it's no longer white when they're done. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just like, it's all oily. Up, <laughs> just like. <laughs> It's just like, I guess your phone liked that joke. Yeah. The process of hydraulic fracturing for natural gas involves blasting a mixture of sand, water, and chemicals into the underground shale rock. It can take millions of gallons of water for a fracking operation, which can result in poisoned groundwater. But dig the numbers on the sand. It can take 4 million pounds of sand to frack a single well according to the Wall Street Journal. Which is why sand prices and stock values are going up and mining activities for sand are expanding, notably in Wisconsin and Minnesota. Quote, residents of those areas are less than happy. The hyperactive mining of sand has seen a massive public backlash about the truck traffic, dust, and breathing problems, wrote Casey Webner in the Wall Street Journal's Energy Journal newsletter. It's not just environmentally questionable product practices like fracking that are contributing to the sand demand. Clean energy and tech enthusiasts 
are fueling the market as well. Quote, sand is a key ingredient in items from solar panels to smartphone. End quote, Cider points out. Yeah, it's like silica, right? That's, yeah. that's what, um, computer chips are made out of and, uh, solar panels are made out yeah. of. Yeah. So. It's very useful stuff. Yeah. But so. It's a destructive process to get it out. But the numbers for frackering are pretty staggering. Again, from Cider. Frackers are expected to use nearly 95 billion pounds of sand this year, up from nearly 30% from 2013 and up 50% from forecasts made by energy consulting firm PacWest Consulting Partners a year ago. And again, it can take 4 million pounds of sand to frack a signal well, but several companies are experiencing with using more. Companies like Pioneer Natural Resources. That's a good name. Pioneer Natural Resources. Yeah, sounds very nice. Incorporated, (laughs) which recently filed a ruling from the U.S. Commerce Department allowing it to export unrefined ultralight oil produced from shale formations, are finding that the output of wells is up 30% higher when they're blasted with sand. I wonder, do they just shove the sand in the well and it pushes the oil out? Yeah, I guess so. It's, I think it, it makes the little fissures that the oil comes through, makes them stay open. Okay. About a fifth of onshore wells are now being fracked with extra sand, but the technique could expand to 80% of all shale wells, according to energy analysis at RBC Capital Markets. Now, the last time people went rushing for sand, it was to cover our beaches for beach resorts, a regrettable decision in most coastal areas, given it's made them vulnerable to erosion, rising sea levels, and other climate change impacts. Hopefully, the gold rushers are thinking more long-term in these new prospects. Hmm. Yeah, this is one of those aspects of, you know, fracking that people may not even realize. People think, oh, there's the water pollution, there's the possible earthquakes, there's, you know, the air pollution. There's all the increased truck traffic. Yeah, Yeah. truck traffic, there's the social consequences of having these uh, transitory workers come in. But then there's also all the sand mining, too. But we're doing it for energy independence, right? We're not (laughs) selling it out of the country. We're (laughs) keeping it for ourselves, right? Yeah, surely not. That's the story they tell anyway, but... It's uh, actually mostly being exported. Yeah, most of it is being exported. So just for a quick buck. Yeah, and it mentions it didn't mention Illinois in the story, but it is going on in Illinois too, the sand mining. And that's one of the many concerns that people locally have about it is that in addition to the stuff at the well itself and the injection site, there's also sand mining going on additionally in Illinois. So you get all sorts of extra unwanted guests when fracking comes to your town. What the frack? Yeah. Yeah, in uh, Battlestar Galactica, they use frack as a profanity. So <laughs> I feel like they had bad things happen in the past, and then in the future, it became a dirty word. <laughs> well, that was way before fracking was actually... Yeah. So science fiction is very visionary. They knew that fracking would become such a concern, and <laughs> they put that as a dirty word in there. Or it could be coincidence. Who can say? <laughs> this isn't coincidence, though. Here's here's a story. Senate Budget Committee Chair Patty Murray says that climate costs are too damn high. Senator Patty Patty Murray of Washington, uh, chair of the Senate Budget Committee, sent a strongly worded letter to her colleagues on Friday urging them to address climate change as an economic imperative. Quote, climate change is real and its impacts pose serious threats to our country. Murray writes in the opening of her missive. Quote, but this is not just an environmental issue. 
Climate change will also have serious ramifications for our economy and the federal budget, and failure to confront it will make it hard, harder to meet our nation's long-term fiscal challenges. Now, this is this is good that they're talking about this, because to me it's sort of common sense that climate change is going to affect our economy, but a lot of people don't put two and two together. They think, oh, you know, I don't really care about protecting trees, so I just don't care about the climate. But there are all these impacts. The letter came with a memo enumerating what Murray sees as the budgetary costs of climate change, from paying for damage done by major storms, to damage to the infrastructure, to hazards that rising sea levels pose to coastal military installations. Murray earlier this week held a hearing titled The Costs of Inaction, The Economic and Budgetary Consequences of Climate Change. In her memo, memo, Murray warns that while the nation's budget situation has recently improved, quote, climate change will darken the long-term fiscal picture. She cites projections that have been found, that have found that a warming of 4 degrees Celsius would reduce global GDP by 3.5%. And personally, I think that's an underestimate, you know, because once warming gets that high, all sorts of things that aren't currently happening will start to happen. She also cites a White House report released earlier this week that projects the cost of addressing climate change rises by about 40% for every decade that action is delayed. So are we already talking about the past decades? (laughs) Yeah, so past decades we've already increased it a lot by not acting before now. I mean, that's why it's so expensive right now to act on it. If a 100 years ago we had realized the problem and just stopped using fossil fuels, that's easy, that's (laughs) a piece of cake. But now... Every decade that we go without taking action, it just gets more and more expensive. So we've got to decide, do we want to pay for it now and be responsible, personal responsibility? (laughs) That's a value that a lot of people hold, is having personal responsibility for your actions. Or do you want to just delay it to the next generation? Oh, we'll let our kids pay for it. It's no big deal. (laughs) Personally, I would rather take care of it now, but that's just me. And apparently, Murray... (laughs) Patty Murray also feels the same way. And so do some scientists. Yeah. Scientists urge for funds to prevent coastal disaster, not just recover from them. Okay? That's interesting. That's a strange so thought. <laughs> don't wait until it happens. Prevent it up front. Yeah, like an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. It's like, man, we should do that in the medical field too. Yeah, scientists are smart, aren't they? A group of top scientists has called for a fundamental change how the United States deals with risks to its Atlanta and Gulf Coast from storms and climate change in a National Research Council report released on Wednesday, urging a, quote, national vision, unquote, toward addressing coastal risks. The report comes on the heels of a Reuters analysis published earlier this month showing that coastal flooding along the densely populated eastern seaboard of the United States has surged in recent years with steep financial consequences. A great majority of the money, most of it federal dollars, spent on coastal risks goes towards recovery after a disaster. Rather than planning for and mitigating against storms, climate change, and sea level rise. Instead, the federal government should push for a national coastal risk assessment to identify best practices and uniform measures of progress and move away from the current decentralized approach to coastal management. That's kind of what we they, we started doing in this area for emergency preparedness. Mm-hmm. You know, they have the neighborhood um, 
the neighborhood groups where you're supposed to, you know, learn who your neighbors are and figure out what is available in case of emergency. Yeah. So such a shift would help the U.S., quote, move from a nation that is primarily reactive to coastal disasters to one that invests widely, wisely in coastal risk reduction and builds resilience among coastal communities, end quote. A statement accompanying the report says, Now, since 2001, water has reached flood levels an average of at least 20 days per year in six eastern U.S. cities. I think I'd move. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of flooding. It's like an average of at least 20 days per year that in, in six eastern U.S. cities, including Atlantic City, New Jersey, and Charleston, South Carolina, which has more than 200 million in flood control projects underway, the Reuters analysis found. Now, the National Research Council study is part of a five-year effort to advise the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers on scientific engineering and water resources planning issues. So thinking ahead. Yeah. That's good. Planning ahead is good. I mean... What did you say? An uh, ounce of prevention? Yeah, it's worth a pound of cure. Yeah, so just think about it. Think about long-term and eat one less ounce, right? Yeah. And it's good to see them talking about it from these sort of economic perspectives and these sort of practical infrastructure perspectives because one of the important things about environmental communication is communicating in a way that people will actually hear you you know like if if you're someone who happens to care a lot about the earth and you go around saying save the earth save the earth (laughs) there's some people who are going to hear that but some people are going to be like ah i've got more important practical things to deal with you know so if you want to talk to those people about it you have to say well how much is this going to cost me what sort of buildings do I have to create? What sort of practical steps do I need to take? And people who work on climate change are starting to realize that and talk about it. Um, years ago, I was down in Louisiana, you know, after um, that big thing hit New Orleans, mm, right? Yeah. And I noticed that houses there, even mobile homes, they had them jacked up. Yeah. It was, I had, a, I took a few pictures of literally mobile homes that had like stairs and they're like 15 feet off the ground on like these pilings. And they had just picked them up and put them on like, you know, just giant wood pilings. So for when it flooded, they wouldn't be underwater. Yeah. And that's one of those onset prevention bond of cure things. You know, because of that, they didn't have to buy a whole new trailer. You know, if they had left that on the ground, then the flooding comes, it ruins the trailer. Yep. And they had houses like that, you know, where they'd park underneath the house. That was their garage because... Mm -hmm. Well, they put it up 10 or 15 feet. Yeah. You know, so that was pretty common. I saw that all, many places right along the coast. And yeah. so, um, I don't suppose it costs much, you know, if you're building a new place. Yeah. You know, it might cost a little more if it's an old place, but for a new place, it's just a little bit extra. Yeah. So here's a good story. This, we've been talking about local foods whenever we get the chance. And here's a food related story, but it's also a story about piece too and a story about veterans turning swords to plowshares is a balm for veterans at the far this is it's got first person in here a couple of times this is somebody's story after they went to this conference so at the farm to table conference i got to see the new documentary ground operations battlefield to farm field and there was one part that really got to me a veteran farmer described getting a call from a fellow soldier who was having a panic attack he told him to meet him at the farm 
and they spent the next two hours sitting under a tree until the panic was replaced by a feeling of peace. When it comes to veterans, I'm used to hearing bad news about missing safety nets and grim statistics, like about how 22 veterans committed suicide every day. So it's nice to see potential ideas for a fix to the problem. Programs that get veterans involved in agriculture have been underway for some time. The documentary's director, Dulane Ellis, suggests that this approach might be a solution not just for the soldiers dealing with the rough transition back to civilian life, but also for the shortage of farmers. A lot of people don't realize this, but we've got a shortage of farmers. Like they're, um, The trailer mentioned some statistic, like most of the farmers are... You know, over, well, you know, most 70s. of them, yeah, they're in their 60s and 70s, and there are, like, more than half of them are in their 60s and 70s, and a lot less are 35 or younger. It's this very small number that are 35 or younger. So we've got this situation where, you know, 10, 20 years, 30 years even, there are going to be a lot less farmers unless we do something. And on the other side, you've got these veterans. Well, and then 60 and 70 when you're working outside all the time is, uh, hard age too. yeah it's a hard age i mean these farmers it'd be nice if they could retire and you know i mean some of them probably don't want to but the ones who do you know relax take it a little easier have the young farmers do more of the field work and you've got these veterans who are looking for solutions to various problems you know problems with stress problems with employment it makes well, sense problems of feeling needed and wanted yeah and I mean, that's one of the nice things about growing things. We did a story, was it last week, about prisoners. Yeah. And how, you know, people who learned to grow and do things sustainably when, when they came out of prison didn't want to go back in. Yeah. You know, it was like very few people. I think it was, I wanted to say it was 4%, wasn't it? Yeah, it, it was something low, a single digit, I think like 4 or 5%. And it's usually a lot more than that. And yeah, it's, well, if you get our newsletter, info at yourcommunityspirit.org. Maybe I should read it because I forgot already from last week. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, we could, we could send you the link because even just the trailer has a lot of good quotes from the soldiers and the people who are working to help them. Because another thing was about how, like, you know, in the process of being a soldier, they were sent off to do this destruction, you know, and now being a farmer, they get the opportunity to do something that is creation. And they're both hard work, and there are even some skills you can help translate to that, you know, the discipline of both. But it's able to transform from an act of destruction to an act of creation, and it makes them feel very empowered, you know. And the ability to get up early in the morning? <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, a, that's a rare skill. That's a noble virtue that I am struggling with. <laughs> I'm a little tired right now, and it's 10 a.m. It's like... So for more information on the film and programs to connect veterans to farm, you can check out groundoperations.net. Yeah. So, and then again, if you want a link to the trailer about this documentary, please email us info at yourcommunityspirit.org and send us, you know, news articles and happenings and stuff because we will take that and utilize it because we are part of the community and so are you. Yes. Move over, Elon. These kids built an electric car that beats the Tesla S. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things is he actually made his information public. Yeah. So maybe they used that already. They might that have. was like a month ago. Yeah, that was a month ago. It's yeah. possible. It was just like he made all... Can you imagine being a car dealer and said, here's all my patents and put it out in the public field? Yeah. Well, he did. 
A group of Australian students and their new electric car prototype might give Elon Musk's Tesla S a run for its money. The SunSwift EVE went 310 miles on a single battery in a July test run. Now, in contrast, the Tesla Model S can drive anywhere from 244 to 306 miles on a full charge. <laughs> that's plenty. I mean, yeah, that's plenty. the average person drives less than 30 miles a day, so... yeah. Either of those, I mean, I could make an electric car that could run on 30 miles a day. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I could hire someone to push me and it's like it'd be cheaper. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, oh, I lost the story. There we go. And it's fast too. Wired Magazine reports, Australian university students whose electric SunSwift EVE set a new world record for fastest average speed more than 60 miles per hour over 500 kilometers, that's 310 miles, on a single battery charge on July 23rd. Now, that's a big deal. Range is the biggest issue holding back the widespread adoption of EVs, electric vehicles. And this record shows that a car can drive hundreds of miles at a reasonable highway speed. Now, the EVE might not be as fancy as the Model S, Model S is really nice. Uh, yeah. It seats up to two adults. It says up to two adults. <laughs> just like <laughs> two really friendly adults. It's <laughs> just like um instead of seven. And doesn't yet boast any fancy fancy features like a touchscreen dash or all glass panoramic roof. Like again, the Model S is nice. Yeah. But the car does have its own solar array, enough to power two hours of driving if parked in the sun for roughly eight hours. That's good. I mean, basically it's an all electric car. Yeah. So you don't have to find a place to plug in. You drive to work. I mean, again, two hours. Most of us only go like, what, you know, I think the average person goes 36 miles a day. Yeah. So. Okay. The Washington Post reports that the EVE consumes, quote, less than a third of the electricity at 20 kilowatt hours when cruising at a, when traveling at a cruising speed of 66 miles an hour than the Tesla Model S, which uses fuel at a rate of 67 kilometer kilowatt hours as it moves at a lower speed of 55 miles an hour. Mm -hmm. But again, I mean, one of the things that has been an issue with electric cars is they make them so fancy, they use a lot more electricity. Yeah. <laughs> um, I forgot, what was the all-electric car made by a major car manufacturer? Uh, the, let's see. There have been a couple of that, like the... Uh, you oh, mean the man. one that got crushed back in the 90s? Yeah. <laughs> see, I've that? already forgot it. See, yeah. that's horrible. They crushed it out of our... Anyway, memory. it was an all-electric car... And it had, like, it even had daytime running lights. Yeah. I mean, like, literally the headlights were on all day. Yeah. And they wondered, oh, why does this car go, you know, adjustable seats, electric seats, like, everything in it that possibly could be electric was. Yeah. It was almost like they were trying to make it not go very far on electric charge. Yeah. And so, um, anyway... The, the, the most exciting thing about this story is the fact that these Australian students have created what is probably the first street legal all solar electric yeah. car. Cause they have, they have all these solar electric cars that are all like concepts. Yeah. But they're like, street that legal. look like space age, you know, all polyfiber and stuff like mm -hmm. that. But this one is like, 
you know. And the exciting part is they could also take Elon Musk's lunch money in the process. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just like, but that's just exciting that people are out there making things. Yeah, I just some students that's in Australia. But it does frustrate me that more people don't drive electric cars because you can convert many cars to electric to be able to do 75 miles on a charge. Yeah. And I am kind of mad now because I sold my electric car before I was gone. Because, <laughs> yeah. well, it had been sitting because it was the non-electric part. I couldn't find. It was an, um, I forgot now, a 76 um, Subaru, and mm-hmm. I couldn't find brake parts. Oh, yeah. So the electric part worked fine. I just couldn't stop. <laughs> just like, <laughs> yeah. You so, just do like the Flintstones, put your feet down. Yeah, so I... Um, had to get rid of it for someone who like stripped it out and is putting it, all the parts in another car. So hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> Today is sneak some zucchini in your neighbor's porch day. <laughs> I could use some zucchini. Yeah. It's like. I could use some zucchini. I have too. never made zucchini bread. So if someone has some extra zucchini, I've like become kind of a baker in the last year. I always like to look at my food when I cook it. But now I figure if you bake, you can do something else. It's like <laughs> yeah. being double efficient. You so. just put it in the oven and then it, it, it bakes. So if someone has some zucchini, I could use some. Yeah. Oh, on Saturday is Book Lovers Day. That's celebrated every day by some people, but especially Saturday. Well, it's Saturday's Book Lovers Day and Sunday is Lazy Day. Yeah. So get your books on Saturday and save them for Sunday. <laughs> Sunday is also National S'mores Day. Yeah. Oh, and Monday is Presidential Joke Day. Uh, so Do we have to wait? <laughs> we can make jokes about the president every day. <laughs> but he can like, make an extra one on we Monday. We don't have to make a joke about him. He is a joke. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Monday is Son and Daughter Day. Yes, and Tuesday is Middle Child's Day. Oh, I'm a middle child. Finally, a one of day the days for of you. the year. Yeah, just like, the other 364 days, it's the oldest <laughs> or the youngest. But <laughs> Wednesday is Left Handers Day. Yeah. And Thursday is National Creamsicle Day. I almost said cream cycle, but. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's see some of these happenings here. The Carbondale Community Farmers Market. It's coming up on Saturday from 9 a.m. to noon over at the Carbondale Community High School. Well, we're car, we're your community spirit, so we like to talk about community things. Yeah. And we're on your community radio station, so let's talk about the Community Farmers Market. And guess where it is? It's at the community high school. There you go. We get we threw in. We are all about community. We are just like. And they've got all sorts of goodies over there. They've got you know food as you would expect. They've got other goodies there too. Nine a.m. to noon over at the high school. And there. it's it's National Farmers Market Week. Oh yeah. So last week and this week, you know, they'll have special things. Yeah. So know, if it's been a while... They usually have something special. Like, you know, there's usually someone playing music or, you know, a bunch of kids running around or, you know, just... What is it called? Um, um, oh, community. Yeah, community. <laughs> and some people are smarter than I am and they go every week, but if you haven't been in a while, now's a good time because it's Armour's Market Week. The Labyrinth Peace Garden Restoration Group will meet on Saturday... August 9th at 10.30 a.m. at the Gaia House Interface Center. New members are welcome. If you like the labyrinth, have you ever been to the labyrinth inside the, well, the labyrinth peace garden on the grounds of the Gaia House? Yeah. 
If you like the labyrinth and want to learn more about the restoration project, upcoming events, and what you can do to help, part of it is just keeping the garden maintained. You know, it's used a lot and therefore not abused, but worn out. Yeah. And then in weather like this, you know, the weeds pop up around where they're trying to have flowers and such. So plenty to do there to help. Also coming up, we have the annual Hiroshima and Nagasaki Remembrance and Potluck event. So this is coming up on Sunday at 5.30 p.m. over at the Church of the Good Shepherd, 515 South Orchard Drive in Carbondale. This is sponsored by the Peace Coalition of Southern Illinois. They're having their annual Hiroshima Nagasaki Remembrance. So at 5.30, it's when it gets started. That's when they have the potluck and letter writing to the Senate about repealing the authorization for use of military force. Uh, that's They often at the event do something related to militarism so that you're stopping whatever violence is going on in the modern day as a way of honoring, you know, stopping the violence that went on in the past. So there's also going to be sharing of excerpts from Playing for Change, Peace Through Music, and then a... Reflections on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. So that's coming up on Sunday, 5.30 p.m. at the Church of the Good Shepherd. No Fracking Fair. Illinois State Fair Days of Action, August 13th and 14th. This is at the Illinois State Fair in Springfield, Illinois. Illinois State Fair Days of Action show politicians and the public why Illinois can't afford a fracking crisis during two days of action at the Illinois State Fair. People will rally to let Governor Quinn and other elected officials know we don't want fracking in Illinois. You can meet at 9 a.m. outside the Crown Plaza Hotel in Springfield, or um, that's on Wednesday or Thursday. There will be an informal vigil and action showing why fracking can't be made safe. People will meet outside the fairground gates at Sagamon Avenue, from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Rides available from Southern Illinois and Chicago. If you would like a ride, let's see, if you're, let us know if you're coming and get details on transportation and staying overnight by contacting Will at Will, oh, that's Will Illinois. Yeah. <laughs> W-I, well, let's see, Illinois at gmail.com. There you go. I figured it out. Yeah. Yeah, willinois at gmail.com. All right. All right. Looks like that's all we've got time for this week. Once again, this is Your Community Spirit on Your Community Radio, WDBX. If you'd like to see WDBX stay on the air, be sure to give us a call at 618-457-3691. Your support is what keeps us on the air. This would disappear without you. And please give us a call in the next 10 minutes to talk to Tree Song or I about anything we talked about. And if you would like to get on our newsletter, um, please give us a call, 457-3691. Tell us what you like about the station. Tell us if you would like to make a pledge, because I pledge that 15 years of me coming here, I want that to be another. Well, <laughs> I don't know about 15 years. That's a long time. That's a long time. At least a few more years. <laughs> Just a few more years. And then when it's, when we, you know, when we move on to other things, we want the station to be here for the next people. There you go. Future generations. I think this show will go on. I think so. All right. Give us a call. 457-3691. All right. And we will see you here next week on the radio.